Welcome again to Read the Fucking Manual, uh, an RPG podcast about old games where we pull these rotting, horrible books off our shelves and try to find some nuggets of goodness inside them. I'm a little pessimistic, as you can tell tonight, but I am excited. Uh, I'm Aaron King, and with us is a special co-host. Matt, you want to introduce yourself? Oh, thank you, Aaron. Um, well, at first I was I was going to say, you know, to bring the energy down to that, you know, pessimistic level, I ordered a pizza and it got lost in the internet. So um, no. No, no pizza tonight. But I'm <laughs> I'm Matt Fennell. Um, I'm uh, Matt Stray 95 on Twitter. I, I was going to do the brain trust intro too. Was the was my brain's all over the place tonight. Well, like I'm a game designer in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but I'm I'm just Matt. I think that's that's usually how I introduce myself. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped. Yeah, I guess I also exist. I'm the I'm the third the third <laughs> rung here. Uh, oh, sorry. No, it's fine. I'm just trying to think about what I could bring to the general pessimist vibes. Uh, so I'm Max Lander. I uh, am a game designer in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, <laughs> I just stole it. I did it. I stole it. Um, yeah. And uh, and I may not. I will be. But I did just find out yesterday that we that the landlord is selling the building we just moved into, and we moved in here two months ago, and they bought it four months ago, and are selling it. And I'm mad. That's my pessimistic. My brain's all over the place today. Uh, do you want to mention the the coffee the coffee the coffee? Co- have we have the, do, do we, we have do we have any consensus on how people actually say that out loud with words? I usually say Ko-Fi, but That's what I, say also. I have only ever read it. Yeah, I also say Ko-Fi, and then I feel really weird when I do. But we have one, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, you can go to ko-fi.com slash RTFM, and you will find us. If you want to give us your dollars, which we will for sure buy ancient books of potential knowledge with. We will buy books and just pay Max for their editing time. When I hear Kofi, I think of Kofi Annan, former Secretary General of the United Nations. <laughs> uh, important first segments. Uh, what are we all wearing tonight? Who wants to go first? I think, Matt, you have to go first. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can go first since I'm the guest. Um, so today I am wearing um, what one of my coworkers has referred to as my, um, my blue-collar cosplay. I, I, I work in a, in a manufacturing plant. I write software, so like... There, there have been periods of time where I've had to be out on the floor doing stuff, but now I'm, I'm mostly in a cube. But I still have my, uh, my denim shirt that has my name on it, uh, my steel toe boots, my, uh, my beat up old jeans, and then a, a t-shirt that says uh, a Sharpie on it. And at one point today, I was wearing, uh, people who follow my Twitter may remember um, one, of my, one, of my, <laughs> one of my recent bangers was about a, a local uh, hipster chicken sandwich restaurant. Um, <laughs> That, that I frequent. Uh, I have a hat from them now, so I was wearing that at, at some point today. Max? Aaron, can we get uniforms? I love it. <laughs> can we get... Yes. I, I am wearing... This This helps. I am wearing what is my daily pandemic uniform, even pre-pandemic uniform, which is black sweatpants and a back t-shirt, which is really boring, and I realize that I'm going to say that every time we have this conversation, but I am trying new underwear today, which is the excitement that Whoa. I can bring there to the go. What Are You Wearing segment. Uh, they're a little weird, yeah. and they go, they're boxers, and they go almost all the way to my knees. <laughs> so it's like I'm wearing little biking shorts under my sweatpants. They're like Jinko boxers. I was gonna say like uh, like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge nightgown type thing, but <laughs> for, for boxers, I I am a chunky guy and I am prone to a chub rub, and so I like my boxers to be incredibly long, and have found some that are even longer than my wildest dreams. Hell yes, hell yeah! I'm gonna describe my clothes, uh, taking a page from today's book. Uh, oh. As a member of the uh, primitive white Minnesotan human uh, humanoid <laughs> group, uh, I have, due to my intense superstitions, uh, continued living in a place that is freezing cold. And so I have multiple layers on uh, socks, uh, uh, some plaid pants, three shirts on right now to keep warm and a hat uh because my people are a uh thrifty and unintelligent people uh 
And so we live in the cold, but we refuse to pay for heat. Uh, what superstition do you have? It's a, uh, my superstition is moving out of an icy wilderness. <laughs> um, I think that's it. I'm afraid of people that live in the heat. I'm afraid of hot people. <laughs> Are we all? Uh, Are we all? Well, I mean, maybe not all of us, but I am. <laughs> right. That was my attempt to do it. Uh, what am I wearing in the style of the complete book of humanoids, which is that what we've like read. a good direction for that bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, good. hey, how am I going to describe what I'm wearing in uh, in the parlance of whatever this week's thing you was? You really put us to shame and, like, set a new bar for every episode going forward. I had a great outfit figured out for the now-canceled werewolf episode where I was going <laughs> to rip my sleeves off during the recording. <laughs> As I transformed into my glabros man-wolf form. Can we, um, but can that be the replacement for the episode? Just 45 minutes of you ripping your clothes off sounds? <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, subscribe to our Kofi and our OnlyFans, and you will get that. You're wearing a lot of layers. There's going to be a lot of time to rip shirts. Exactly. Uh, tonight's book is The Complete Book of Humanoids, an advanced Dungeons & Dragons <laughs> supplement written by Bill Slavicek. Slavicek. I tried to find some video pronunciation of his name. I could not. Uh, published by TSR in 1993. It's a faux leather book, uh, about 200 pages, full of nasty freaks and funky little dudes. Um, Slavishek was an editor and developer at West End Games. Uh, did the famous Star Wars RPG they did, which is also full of nasty freaks and funky little dudes. And moved into freelancing for D&D. Uh, so this was published in 93. For more context, like Gary Gygax had been ousted from TSR in 1985, and this was still four years before they were purchased by Wizards of the Coast. So this was like a financial high. There was a huge glut in the market. They were releasing tons of books about whatever they wanted, and this book is about all the playing all the little weirdos in D and D, and the rules for doing that. These history lessons um, feel so well prepared. I am shocked. I realize we haven't done this a ton of times, but I am our, every time I am so shocked by these little background history notes because I don't know any of this information. It's very impressive. <laughs> some of this is off the dome. Some of this is I spent this morning chugging coffee and doing some research. So I appreciate you. Um, thank you. Me too. I did want to. I did want to ask about our individual experience with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I don't have a lot. This is mostly a chance for Matt to talk because I know that you have been involved in a recent strictly by the books AD&D game. Yeah, yeah. So uh, back in October, um, so actually, I, I guess maybe I, I should take a step back before that. So I, I came to role-playing games um, kind of as an adult um, in my first or second year of college um i was home one summer and i decided all right i'm gonna call my buddies from high school and we're gonna try to play fifth edition so we bought that starter set um which was still i think mine's a fandolin at that point and this was like right as adventure zone was kind of taken off um so i i had listened to that and some other actual plays um some of like the the more mainstream ones that were coming out then had an idea of what I thought it was going to be from those and then from like, you know, cultural stuff like the community episode where they play Dungeons and Dragons um, and stuff like that. Didn't really have a great time um, playing oh, no. 5th edition for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, it was fun, but I felt like I was doing it wrong, I think was was the main takeaway. Um, and so then after that, I've always kind of been interested in, okay, was there something about these rules that makes it different from some of these other experiences that I'd heard? Like maybe my, my thought was, well, maybe maybe I picked the wrong edition, right? Um, and I've, I've come to find out that it was it's more, okay, what am I looking for from a game and things like that? But I, I still have found a lot of um, enjoyment and entertainment out of doing, I think Will Yopst has termed it uh, kind of archaeological play where um, they started it with the Gamma World game, uh, Heckheads, that they occasionally run uh, for the Brain Trust. And back in October, they pitched, um, hey, let's, let's, let's do an archaeological game where we play first edition uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. We'll, we, we found some PDFs. I, I printed mine off and put it in a spiral book. And we, Hell yes. <laughs> yeah, it was great. 
um, uh, print, print scam those from work. Um, and then uh, we, it was, it was me, John Geary, Adam Vass, Will Yobst, um, John DM'd for us. And I think we played, it was either four or five sessions. One was entirely devoted to trying to read the rules. Um, <laughs> it was bananas. I mean, there's so many wild things in that first edition. And I, I think um, you can really feel, I think Gary Gygax has a very strong authorial presence. And I mean, I don't know if he's the only author in that first edition or the main author. I, I know that Arneson stuff gets kind of, tricky um where so part of advanced is. dungeons and dragons was they were trying to actively remove the dave arneson influence so that they could stop paying him really oh that sucks yeah yeah Jeez. so okay i'm glad i didn't pay money for that then i think right. is, is, right. is where it comes off i mean gary's dead it doesn't matter but um mm -hmm. the hand of gary was was felt strongly i mean we there we spent 15 minutes one time rolling on tables to um identify and sell jewels that we found in a pile in a dungeon Woof. yeah which i mean i really enjoyed it was very fun for me because uh the way my brain works is i like rules i like tables i like memorizing things so i got to be um I was the, the only friendly rules lawyer in history, I think, is, is <laughs> the way that I have described it. Uh, but it was really fun. You're describing that? And I'm like, yes, yes, that sounds wonderful. I would like that. My favorite part of like <laughs> it old was great. games, old like 3.5 games was like, you found a treasure. I'm not going to re-roll it. I'm not going to pre-roll it. Let's figure out what it is you found right this second. And then a million. Yeah. Like, it was always like our session wrap back in the day, which was like a very fun, mm. let's roll on some tables and chill out or whatever into it yeah and i i that's kind of how we did it as well and it was it was fun to just kind of well no one knows what's going to happen let's see almost like an improv game kind of <laughs> almost like role-playing is a little and, bit like an improv game almost <laughs> and you got killed by a slug is that right yeah oh yeah i didn't even talk about my character so my character was named elf um it was an elf wizard i was killed by a slug comma giant um I don't think I did the spells right the first time through, and um, what I should have done was learned Fireball 12 times instead of learning 12 different spells. Um, Amateur. So I ran, out of, I ran out of everything that I had to hit this slug. So thought, well, hey, maybe it'll be a good idea. I've got this, I've got this, uh, this quarterstaff. I can hit this slug. I'll be fine. Um, I think the... slugs resist bludgeoning damage. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, I didn't know that. If I if I'd read the monster man, the monster manual was the one thing that I didn't print because that felt like forbidden knowledge. Right. Um, ran up to hit the slug, got spit by acid, immediately killed because I only had two hit points. I mean, what's <laughs> up with that? Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. I actually, in the in the spirit of games archaeology, I think Aaron and I are going to do episodes for every edition of D and D at some point. Oh, so we will so we will have the moment of. Oh yeah, here it says you only have two HP. Don't the slugs are resistant to bludgeoning or whatever? Yeah, and huge shout out to Willie Obst. Um, their approach to running Gamma World and this AT&D game and their kind of use of games archaeology as a term have been a huge inspiration to me for sure in setting this up. We do have like kind of a special bit for this episode. Um, this episode came together kind of quick. Um, because Matt and I had talked about reading this beforehand, and I talked to Max in, uh, about folding this into the RTFM feed. And so we mostly just want to talk about these funky little dudes. But yeah. before that, do we want to just give any kind of broad... Normally we do a chapter-by-chapter chapter kind of read-through, but do people want to give any kind of broad thoughts about this book in general? It was interesting for me to read it because I don't have any experience with AD&D. &D. I Yeah, you have I you have no mechanical basis no, in this. Nothing. Game. I got nothing. That's so interesting. What's really funny, so like my introduction to D&D &D was in 3rd edition, and then we like and then I did 3.5 and then I don't know why, but I totally skipped 4th, which apparently was a huge mistake. Um my favorite. And I think I was bitter because I think it just came out really it felt like it came out quickly, like I was like I want to buy more books. Um and then I went to 5th and I can't stand 5th. Um <laughs> which is whatever that's fine uh we were just joking about your very strong opinions so i love it fifth is a bad game here's a strong opinion um but 
And then I, but I had a bunch when I was playing third, I had like gone to game stores and there was a really cool game store that used to exist on Young Street in Toronto that had in the back, like those old magazine stands, like the wooden ones that people always put their pornos in when you're at like the back of a secondhand bookstore. Um, <laughs> and it was just, they were just full of game books. Like it wasn't... <laughs> They weren't organized. It was just like, here's a bunch of secondhand game books. And I would always find like AD&D, these, the like complete guide to would be a bunch of yeah, them. Yeah, they have a beautiful kind of faux leather cover uh, with gold logo treatments. Uh, I bought multiple different. So they do one for each main species, elf dwarf. They did gnomes and halflings. This is other humanoids. They did one for each class, and I would buy them from a mall. Uh, I like, grew up in a town of 500 people, and there was a mall with two bookstores like 40 minutes away, and I would drive, and I would spend my allowance on these. I totally interrupted. Please no, continue. No, that's, I mean, that's, I would, I, now I'm, now I feel like we're competing. I grew up on an island of 2,000 people, and your town makes my island feel big, and this is a new feeling for me. <laughs> but also an island. Yes, an island. So much less. Those 2,000 people really had to be good. Um, yes. Because you get no exposure to any other people. The population of that island uh, quadrupled in the summer. It's a very weird place. Uh yeah, but I would I would do like similar. Like I was a teenager when I like I think I was thirteen when I started playing D and D, and I would go every like once a week and just go and like see what they had, and would grab these complete guides too because I just liked reading them, and so like didn't have as as then also now had no mechanical basis for it. Like whatever, I've played enough D and D over the years to like kind of get the shape of it, but there are parts of this book that make. Like, the specifics of them make no sense to me. Doesn't matter. Had a blast reading it. Don't need the mechanics. Would be interesting to see. Like, one day I want to see how they play. It seems like over. there's a lot of overly complicated things. But maybe that's just how I think about all D&D now. But, like, but also there's a couple sections in this book, right? Like, there's the funky little dude section. And then there's the, the way to, like, actually use them. There's, like, the kit section, which is more flavor to throw onto your mechanics. Uh, and then there's like some extra stuff in the back, which I read and which is like, I'm, I'm really, I'm actually now mechanically more curious because of the kits, not because of the funky little dudes. <laughs> I like the funky yeah. little dudes, but the kits are the thing that I'm like, what does that play like? That seems kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we should say before going further, like as usual, this is Dungeons and Dragons. There's lots of kind of fucked up ideas about like how non-agricultural or non-urban people live or people who aren't human. There's lots of like primitive tribes stuff going on. Um, Orientalism is in full force with the ogre magi. Oh, really like, oh my gosh, that was awful. Right, a reworking. Yeah. Um, and so like we are not saying go buy this great book. We are looking at this the way maybe a historian looks at archives in a library. Uh, if you do want to buy this book, definitely buy it from a used bookstore or um, eBay or like a Libris is a website that sells, you know, used bookstores sell their stuff there. Um, don't go buy it from the DMs Guild and give the Wizards of the Coast money for this. Like, this is an interesting historical document. Even though we're focusing on these funky little dudes, uh, we are not saying this is like a great thing that everyone should go and buy and read and. I feel really confident in saying that never once are we going to suggest you should give money to Wizards of the Coast. At no point should Ever. anything we say make you feel emboldened to give your money to Wizards of the Coast. It's only a matter of time before they do NFTs. It is. I I think you're probably right. Um, Matt, did you have any kind of broad covering not our funky little dude's thoughts? Um. The only so looking at my notes, the the thing I wrote down, I I really liked. So this book opens with like a first person. Um, I mean, it's 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 flavor, right? It's, it's a, like it's, fiction. It's fluff. Yeah, or it opens with the story of a of an ogre mage, um, kind of setting the the tone of like, hey, well, you know, people might think I'm a monster, but you know, I I, I don't fit in anywhere. I'm not like other ogre mages. Um, <laughs> And I, I really like that. And there's there's a few other small bits of that. Like the there's a there's a section near the beginning that's like, well, hey, you know, if you really care about backstory and lore, like maybe here's some ideas for how you could fit these characters into your campaign. 
And I think that stuff's kind of cool. Um, and then, uh, like Max mentioned, the, the kit stuff at the end, there's some, there's some cool mechanics in there. And then, um, one thing that I was going to ask, um, if you, if you knew about this, the, uh, or if you had any info about this, there's a, there's a long section about like non-weapon proficiencies. And this seems like stuff that, um, the text makes it seem like, Hey, yeah, this, this is like brand new. This, this hasn't appeared anywhere else. Is this like, was the idea of non-weapon proficiencies, new in this book is that something that's in like vanilla 2e um i think so advanced dungeon dragons had two editions uh second edition had non-weapon proficiencies it had these sets of rules for either secondary skills which were very broad and more story based or non-weapon proficiencies which max i'm sure you're familiar with from third edition where you're like getting certain numbers of slots or points each level and you're putting them in and so the basic player's handbook for AD&D 2E had a bunch of them, but then each of these um, expansion books introduced a bunch of them. And so I think they were kind of doing the thing where they assumed that you might not have read all the other ones, all the other handbooks in this series. And so they did try to give it a very broad uh, introductory flavor. Uh, tone, I guess. Okay. Do you want to know what else they introduced That's... in this book? <laughs> what? The cheese making skill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is my favorite part of this whole book. Reading this book, it was like I got to the skills. There's at the at the back. There's like here's skills. Here's you know how you might use them with humanoids or whatever. And then it has this. The bolded skills are skills that are new to this book. Which I'm like, oh great, yeah, they're gonna be like. I don't know, monster skills or whatever. Like maybe they're going to have like a, a a scent skill or something, right? Like I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be for sure in the flavor of what is a thing that in this world builds like that. What do monsters do? Yeah, what can do monsters do that, do that we haven't covered? Do. Well, they can make fucking cheese. Cheese making. <laughs> also eating. Eating is a skill that was introduced in this eating book. Eating and drinking. drinking is a skill. Mm-hmm. Eating and drinking, which, like, is fine. My problem is not that they're, like, new skills that are getting introduced, although I do think that eating is a skill. Like, what is the circumstance in a game that you're running where you're like, I need you to make an eating check because... Pie contest. Yes, fair. Uh, I have run I have run a couple of those. Uh, but <laughs> More than one? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I play a lot of games about food. It happens. Uh, probably less. You've literally released of Grot and Grub. Yes. A food-based, yeah, yeah, RPG. I do, yeah. I do love a food thing. I also really love like contests I mean, and mini games when I'm playing, like specifically when I'm playing games like D and D and Pathfinder. I love like if I'm going to roll a lot of dice, I want them to kind of be in contest mini game kind of circumstances. Um, so I tend to run a lot of them. But if I had the fucking cheese making option as a skill, the cheese making, eating, and drinking option as skills. There are so many mini games I want to play with that. My problem is not that the skills exist; it's mainly just that they introduced it in the monster book <laughs> or the humanoid it's wild. book, right? Like cheese making. I think my favorite part of the um, of those non weapon proficiencies. So that's chapter four. The little icon up at the top of the of these pages is a wheel of cheese. What? Um, I don't that? know if that's in your edition or not, but in oh, mine, it is. yeah. Oh, I missed <laughs> it. New Twitter, new Twitter icon. <laughs> it's because I'm reading it digitally, and the little like popover, like menu covered it up. You just scroll over. I'm it. Mad. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm mad that Damn. it. Oh, it is. It's just a cheese all the way through. Great, perfect. They knew what um, they had. Yeah. The only other thing, like broad whatever thought that came to my mind. There's a lot of advice like Matt had mentioned about like how to play these kind of weirdos that don't belong to the society we've been shown in other D and D books. And there seems to be a lot of advice about like, don't put too many of these in your game. Like maybe only one person should be playing one of these weirdies. Um, Which is, I just don't understand where that comes from. Like in my historical diving into, you know, OD and D stuff, uh, I, I have never understood that or never understood why like non-humans have level limits to their yeah advancement and it's so strange and it like continues in a modern gaming and I've seen people describe like oh in fifth edition or in Pathfinder no one plays a human and you have all these 
weird races and people just want to be their special snowflakes and it's so funny to me i also like started running 5e with the advent of uh, adventure zone and stranger things and all these people like wanted to be tieflings and like no one wanted to be a tiefling because they're a special snowflake like they want to be a tiefling because they're just like queer weirdos who have always been thought of evil like because of who they are and they want to have hellish rebuke to like fuck with people who mess with them like it's never been about being special it's been about like finding these own parts of yourself inside this kind of like messed up fictional bioessentialism and so this advice apparently or this view of playing non-humans extends through a D or D history and that was weird well i think it, i didn't like that part i think it comes from like reading this book it's really it's really intense so like the parts that i like are not this part the thing i'm about to describe but like the mm-hmm. descriptions are really intense about like these characters are either like barely capable to communicate with civilized folk or right like there's all of these things about how they're like outcast and they can't actually get along and whether that's about like mm-hmm. the the world's description of where they are like development like civilization development wise which is a whole fucked up concept in and of itself but like or if it's just that they are like too evil or too chaotic or whatever it's like these these all of these creatures all of these races species whatever it is that we're calling them live like outside of the established like player space of the game and so i feel like the goal was to really make it a point of conflict right like was to make the to make the introduction of these characters as like a point of conflict and so i can imagine somebody who's thinking like that being like well you don't want to have too many points of conflicts in a party like in part of that section there was some some sassy line about like players that work against the party and how irritating they are and i was like oh i'm so glad yeah. that like since the dawn of D, people have been saying that because i hate those players but like <laughs> unless right. it's all consensual and shit right but, like that's a different thing right like it's one thing to be like i want to be an ogre because i get plus four strength and then i can kill every monster but it's a different thing to be like i want to be an ogre because i identify with like trying to live outside the capitalist system totally it's just like you know well it's like it's just very strange it's like the like i really like playing chaotic characters because like my introduction to D comes when like alignment like lawful alignment was really like about getting on in society right like they've kind of changed the wording i think has changed quite a bit and now it's more like you like structure and hierarchy right more like it's like ah your room's really organized you must be lawful up. or whatever right um <laughs> and but that when i came to it i was like right that's why i like chaos like i'm not interested in playing a character that is invested in like furthering the hierarchical structures of society so i'm just going to like lean towards chaos but then the that that's very different than like I want to be a chaotic character so that I can disrupt everybody in the party's plans <laughs> and not have to like have a right. rationale for my actions or whatever. It's also like it's abundantly clear that Gygax's personal political beliefs like are thread through every single element of D&D even to oh, this yeah. day, right? Like it's not like yeah. like that's all there for better or worse. There's it's not really for better. There is no for better, only for worse in this context. I mean like we we already mentioned level caps. Yeah, and it's like that it's it's a thing where it's like I reading through so that was one of the big sticking points in that first edition game that we mentioned, right? Was like a lot of these things don't make sense and they're just arbitrary, right? It's like these caps that we just put on like yeah, like elves can't do that or you know, uh if you're this you can only level up so many times, right? It's like it's things that are put on there from like the types of fiction that he liked and agreed with and that went into this kind of simulation that he was building and then have just become baked in parts of this game that we just don't really question it's like yeah i mean like those those level caps are still here in second edition and like aaron already said gary was gone at this point right and it's like it feels like some of these things don't need to be there but are are still just yeah it's it's you can still feel his hand his weird fucked up political beliefs in some of this (laughs) his fucked up hand is still steering that rudder (laughs) zombie boat zombie boat Uh, that makes it sound so much cooler than it is it does. Uh, I want to get into the fun stuff, our fun bit that we planned. 
there's what like 20 some humanoids in here that you can be and we are doing kind of a top three humanoids system and we are all going to tell each other our favorite humanoids it might get personal again i don't know um but this is a surprise to all of us and so um number three top humanoid matt let's hear it okay my number three top humanoid is the fremlin god damn yes, it yes a good choice <laughs> Oh, did, did other people have the Fremlin? Oh, this is so exciting. To I me. don't have Fremlin, but if you both have Fremlin as three, this is a joint. Let's have a discussion. Max, do you have let's, Fremlin as three? I do. I love them. Okay. Well, this I, is great. Tell the us Fremlin about the Fremlins, both of you. Or the friendly Gremlin. Uh, <laughs> that's got to be where that name is. It has to be. It has to be. <laughs> it's not in the books, and I can't believe I've never thought of that. That's amazing. Holy uh, shit. The Fremlin, I'm just going to read their background real quick. Uh, Fremlins are friendly, mostly harmless gremlins. Like other gremlins, they are small winged goblinoids, only growing to about a foot in height. However, Fremlins tend to be plump and slate colored. And then there's a really nice little um, illustration of just a real fucked up look. I mean, imagine... um, the just thing a that nasty comes to mind, little freak. Just a nasty little freak. There's a Super Nintendo game. I can't remember the name of it. It's related to Ghouls and Ghosts. You play as a demon called, I think, Fireball. Um, and that's what this little guy looks like. He looks he looks like, like a like a sitcom character from like the mid eighties. <laughs> uh like an alpha yeah, sort of a thing. little bit. <laughs> a little bit. He just looks like a guy. Like he, they just drew a slightly chubby, normal dude, and then gave him some wings. Um, but they just mentioned that they're plump a couple of times, and so I was charmed. They, they definitely um, like they call them these plump magical creatures a number of times, and I just love the idea that there's these little like one foot fat red dudes that kind of just want to be comedic and help you out. Yeah, the art in all of these books is amazing um highly recommended like again don't buy from the source but uh the stuff they do here is is so cool it's mostly black and white there are a few uh a few in color pieces we lost matt just left us internet oh no we'll take a little pause that's all right the fremlin i love the fremlin um max do you have max do you have other stuff to say about the fremlin or matt oh no that i was gonna throw to max i was gonna say max what do you like about the fremlin so in actuality the reason i ask aaron about the superstitions in the beginning is i think the superstitions are like my favorite little lore bit in most of interesting like some of them are bad or whatever but but as a concept right like this is like uh uh because I do think that it's interesting to have, like, like if you were thinking about these as, like, I don't know, different cultures. Like, here's a base cultural belief. I think that's cool. That's that's neat. Um, and so all of them, like, come with as an addendum to that. It would be cool to have here's a cultural belief. But the, the, but you'd also need some kind of, like, that doesn't mean everybody 100% holds fast. Because like, I feel like that's what's missing in this. It's very, like, this is exactly how every yes. single one of these characters is. Um, but they mm. all come with superstitions. And I think they're... For the, the ones that I liked of the, like, humanoids that I liked are very funny. So, like, Fremlins, you have you have their background, and then you have role-playing suggestions, which is the other interesting, like, lore bit area about them, right? And it, like, says that they're, like, again, once plump little, plump little magical guys. Uh, they can be annoying, obnoxious, and easily insulted. Often they will disappear for a time, returning just when the rest of their party believes them to be gone for good. And I'm, like, is that how you're going to role-play it? Like, guys, I'm out. I'm out until 8.30. Like, bye. <laughs> uh, apologies sometimes bring them back earlier, but usually they stay away until they forgot whatever it is that made them mad or depressed in the first place. They're just the littlest guys. They're the littlest guys. I feel like I have both been this Fremlin in a relationship and dated this Fremlin. (laughs) (laughs) Apologies bring them back early. (laughs) You know, sometimes you just need some time on your own. That's a good Twitter bio right there. Apologies bring me back early. (laughs) Yeah. I am the friend there. <laughs> I am the friend when I speak for the trees. <laughs> 
but their superstitions are Fremlins are afraid of almost everything. <laughs> it's just cute. They're just so cute. They're so sweet. Yeah, really... my uh, my my favorite Fremlin thing was um, there's there's a bit early in the rules where it's like, hey, I, and Aaron mentioned this, like, you know, it'd be obnoxious if everyone was a monster. But then in the Fremlin role playing suggestion, it says like, hey, yeah, sometimes Fremlins will just like give away your hiding spot or like, you know, provoke the monsters and things like that. <laughs> right, just shitty player behavior. Mm -hmm. It's really good. <sighs> I love them. Also, they're, one of their non-weapon proficiencies is, in fact, eating. So <laughs> they are partially responsible for that being the new skill introduced in this book. They're good at... See, how could you not like this? They're good, they're good at drinking and eating and gaming. <laughs> they're gamers. Fremlins are gamers. I am banishing Fremlins to gamer jail. I'm rolling in hot with my number three Number pick. three, number three. The Bullywug. The Bullywug! Classic. These are... These are the big frog folks. Uh, they cooperate with each other in order to survive. A lot of them are chaotic evil, but a lot of them, this is the problematic part, are quote-unquote advanced bully ones, <laughs> and so they are not evil. That thing is a bummer. Um, they can take some big hops. They can blend in. Um, they love to stay moist, and as a Minnesotan who fears the dry heat and needs to apply lotion every day, I get it. Their superstition is bullywugs fear dry heat in areas that have little standing water, and I am the same. I just love big frog folk in general. Yeah. There's lots of good frog people in D&D. There's the Gripply. There are some other ones. Um, and then there's a, a nice part in this description that Max had mentioned in the chat leading up to this podcast. Often it's the females who decide to leave the lair and take up the life of an adventurer, for the opportunities in their own society are extremely limited. And I'm just like, that rules. Like, I love, I want five bullywug ladies just being like, this sucks. We're out of here. We're adventurers now. We're going to kick the shit out of some rude humans and get rich and find our own swamp. This is, I, like, if you're going to have, because this is one of the other things about, like, the lore of all the animals that I don't like. Like, they put a lot of, like, gender-based division in, like, even mm -hmm. down to, like, oh, which ones can take this class? Only the males of these species or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. But I do like that if you're, if there are a couple times in this book, there are a couple humanoids that are, like, the women are more frequently adventurers because the men are just buttholes. <laughs> like they're yep. just right. jerks. They just and suck they treat so people much. Badly. And so the women are like, peace out. I'm going to go find glory and wealth or whatever, which like yeah. that to me is a fun, like that's a fun campaign prompt. Like you just absolutely even playing the leftover dudes, like just trying to be assholes <laughs> to one another. And every, cause everybody, <laughs> that, I hadn't even thought of that shit. angle. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Play, play the toxic masculinity game, but it's it's oops all bullywugs. What is uh, also the art? The art for bullywugs is particularly. It's really good. The tongue is out. Yeah, yeah it's there's holding a, a sword and a shield. Yeah, it's got chainmail on, I think, or just a plate that has some chains down just at the like bottom. A breastplate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some like crazed eyes. Has some the like, eyes are crazed real eyes scary. with the tongue is really is really quite an image. Uh, number two. Bullywug was actually we my got... number two. Uh, oh. Mostly because well, of the hear. water thing, I think. I just think that's, there's there's one other creature, Lizard Man as well, I think can get dehydrated. Um, but I think it's, I think that's, that's neat that they're baking in that kind of mechanical, like, uh, I guess now you'd think of it as like, uh, like those kind of survival video games like Rust and Minecraft and things like that. A lot of that, okay, I've got to keep track of my, my food and my, my uh, all those sort of things. I think adding the hey, you got to stay moist. I think is is like a funny way to kind of do that and um, adds a fun. It's mechanic. also just it's just self care. Mm -hmm. Like you got to stay hydrated. Yeah, you got to have a. Uh, 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 my mom is not going to listen to this, so I'll just bring this up. At one <laughs> at one point, my mom had a water bottle that uh, someone got it for her for her birthday, I think, and it synced up with an app on your phone, right? And there was like there was. There was something in the water bottle that it was you were supposed to drink. It's however much water you're supposed to drink in a day. When you drank all of that, when you drank, when you hit your target water amount that you were supposed to drink, there were little LEDs in the water bottle that would do like a fireworks display. <laughs> uh, Max, you got a number two? 
Yeah, my number two is a little weird, actually. I'm I'm ready. Hell yeah. And it's for one main reason. My number two are pixies. Oh. I am not a pixie person. I, like, avoid the fae like the plague, uh, generally, when, like, playing anything. Like, for whatever reason, like, every lore bit that has ever come about, like, fae or fairies, it just, like, it does not. Even when I'm, like, listening to, like mythical creatures podcasts or whatever i'm like oh the fey again skip or whatever like i don't know why <laughs> um and so i was very surprised to be like charmed by the pixies of this book uh and part of it is that like all of my favorites i guess are just like trouble makers like they're all just like little guys <laughs> that want to maybe fuck up your day but only in good spirited prank form uh Pixies may play tricks to teach lessons, uh, which I really enjoy. Um, and I like this little bit that says pixies can be played for comic relief, but their abilities with weapons makes them more than simple pranksters. And I just like the idea of playing something for comic relief and then every once in a while just being really threatening. It's a goof until <laughs> your head is chopped off. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. yeah. And my fav- my actual favorite part is that they can go invisible just at will. And so there's yeah. a, where is the, there's a little bit that, um, oh yes, yes. It's, it's very simple. It's just no candle flame is safe with the presence of a pixie and no inviting frog pond or flower field can be ignored. And I'm just like, that's so, that's so much, that's so much to, that's just how I play this game. It's how I play role-playing games. It's also... If you've played a role-playing game with me, I am that person that's like, ah, chaos that way. Eh? Great. Good. A shiny. Goodbye. It's also like a James Joyce line, right? Like, you can just imagine, like, no candle flame can be ignored and no frog pond can be skipped across. Like, just <laughs> yep. real Irish poet from the 19th and 20th I like. I just like the, I like the idea of reading that and taking it as, like, actual law. Like, mm-hmm. no candle flame is safe. <laughs> This is not my whole character motivation for playing. Uh, this DM, are there any candles in this yeah. room? Have we have we put, have we passed a frog pond in this day's travel? I need to know. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna do it back to back because you both have gone first, and I want to make sure you get a chance to kind of close out the uh, the recording. So my number two is the Swan Maid. Ooh, they're so weird. So swan, it's it's weird that they're in this book. They are people, druids or rangers, that can turn into swans. But it also says they expressly are humans that must be brought into this sorority. They all must be women. Um, and part of why I picked this was because when I was running 5e, which we were talking about earlier, that started like in 2014 when Adventure Zone was coming out, I ran this weekly 5e game for like four or five years. And a lot of the players had never played RPGs before. And one of them uh, played this ranger. And I remembered, Swan Maze are also in the monster manual for this edition. I remembered them. They always seemed cool. And I like had this player meet a Swan May. Uh, and she got this token that would let her turn into a swan. And she was immediately obsessed with it. And all the time she wanted to know more about these swan maze. She wanted to track him down. She wanted to turn into a swan. And like months later told me, I used to have dreams, like growing up, recurring dreams of turning into a swan. Oh my God. Uh, And like, she was sure that we were old friends, best friends. And she was sure that she had told me this beforehand. And I was doing this as a gift to her. And I was like, no, this is just like some weird shit from a monster (laughs) manual that I thought was interesting. (laughs) And so now, even today, like we've been playing different games for years. We still play every other week. And she will just randomly say, like, can I, I'll turn into a swan. Um, And so swan maids are just, like, stuck in my head. Very good. And I'm going to jump immediately to my number one monster. Not to cut you all off, but to give you all the closing word. I'm the mongrel man. (gasps) That's my bonus. Goo 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 joob. I am the mongrel (laughs) man. Uh, They are the freakiest little dudes. They're a bunch of pieces sewn together. Not literally. The picture in here has a an ox hoof, a cat foot, a crab claw, a human hand, and a part lizard, part fur face. Uh, 
there's some fucked up shit in here about like they're often slaves or serfs and they kind of don't give a shit and they never try to resist um but getting back to the midwestern white americanism they're all just sort of like i think things will get better Mm -hmm. eventually things will get better um which is this strange combination of both ultimately pessimistic and ultimately optimistic that real really appeals to me and then there's off there's a line about like they go on adventures so that no one tells them how ugly they are anymore because they're off adventuring but then they tend to meet people that tell them how ugly they are and i'm just like that's me leaving the house every day uh (laughs) they are great believers in what will be will be the mongrel man this makes them infinitely patient and extremely ordered i the end i love them because the idea of like making them like making one and thinking about what all those different parts are was Mm -hmm. really compelling and that like yeah because they are just like the picture of it is really evocative it's like oh you read it and you're like yeah they're kind of like a mix mash of a bunch of stuff and then you look at the picture and you're like oh no they're like like super weird like frankenstein's monster but fun like that it just (laughs) yeah yeah i they were my bonus if we were gonna have like a bonus lightning round i was gonna be like mongrel men see i think this is the this is the the rules lawyer in me right where i saw the mongrel man i was like i am anxious about the mongrel man because i do not know what it did to become like this So I went into the, I took out the monster manual. I have the binder. I got it from some dude on eBay, flipped through the binder and found the mongrel man page and was like, this is not helping. I'm still anxious about the mongrel man, but I, I kind of love it. Um, My favorite thing about it is the, the section about the songs that they sing and how they like music. So they can, they can mimic, they can mimic any animal sound. And so they have lots of these songs that are like, singing lyrics there's a whole section about like yeah you might be into writing poems or singing songs as a mongrel man it's amazing everyone else hates them they sound terrible to everyone else but you love them and they're very vital to you and to me that's just like me making zines of like no one's gonna like this shit but it's so extremely important to me listen to my weird songs the mongrel man this is so tender your relationship to the mongrel man is so tender I have been obsessed with, I have a very distinct photographic memory of reading this book of humanoids in the Walden books in the mall in Onalaska, Wisconsin, and being like, hell yes, Monkroman. I cannot afford this book on my $5 a week allowance. I will never be able to buy this, but they're in my monster manual, and I am obsessed with them. So that's my number one. I'm out. I love it. It's all up to you, too. I love it. Wow. My number one is the Seder. Yep, 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 yep. Because they just like every, I mean, they're like, whatever. We have lots of cultural references for them, right? Like they're an ever-present little little weirdo. Um, But like the descriptions of them is just that they are fun-loving and they like just want to have a good time. There's all this stuff about like, uh, they don't understand, satyrs don't understand seriousness or violence, though they can fight with the best of them if need be. They are rarely serious. It's against their nature. They don't like to work, though they're excellent winemakers, uh, <laughs> as their hearts are tuned to play. They're impulsive and full of animal passions. I just, as I was reading it, it was like, satyrs are himbos. They're just himbos. Every single one of them is a wow. himbo. Because uh, at the end, there's a little line that says, satyrs will be quick to point out how, how absurd it is to try and keep a rein on feelings <laughs> and may even attempt Damn. to teach their companions how to loosen up and have fun. <laughs> and I'm like, they just want to help you out. They just want to help you have a good time with your life uh, and don't understand why you're trying to fight your feelings. You got to like work on that shit so you can just be chill, dude. I just, I'm charmed. Do you want to mention himbos right now or well capital h capital himbos. h himbos is my game it it won't it might be out of itch funding by the time this episode comes out but it is currently itch funding it is a game where you can play entirely only himbos <laughs> or thembos or bimbos also fine uh yeah it's a fun fantasy game i think yeah you could... like as someone who went to college for like english literature and history absolutely uh i think roland barth said Homer had his funky little dudes and they were called satyrs. 
direct <laughs> Barth quote. I love them. They love to frolic and play their pipes. And they never miss an opportunity to chase after wood nymphs. <laughs> I mean, who who wouldn't chase after a wood nymph given yeah. the opportunity? They're just they're just like I funny and because horny. I'm a mongrel man who does not want to be perceived by anyone. <laughs> I don't, this I don't is know. not the venue to tell this story, but one time I went hiking in the woods, um, and um, I woke up really early in the morning and drove up into the mountains. It was a Saturday morning. I hadn't showered the night before, or probably even that Friday morning. So it had been like, I was coming up on like 24 to 30 hours not having showered. And I just started feeling real greasy on this hike, right? <laughs> so I have no idea where I'm, this is going, and I have yeah, involved. Yeah, me either. I'm so excited. So I'm walking along, right? And I all of a sudden, I hear water. And I'm like, oh, I got to get to that water. So I round a bend. Um, and the water, uh, the, the trail does not lead down to the water, but I, you know, I, I cut down through the woods, you know, kind of stumbled down this hill a little bit and found this beautiful, uh, crystal clear stream with a waterfall. And out in the middle of the woods, I stripped down to just my boxers and did like a swan dive into this frozen crystal clear pool and was like, yes, I am one with nature. I feel great. I, and, um, uh, we, we should cut this because it's not actually related to chasing after wood nymphs, but I, it's the it's the feeling that I think chasing after a right. wood nymph would be. Like yeah. you had your you were the wood nymph, and this somebody should have chased you. Yes, Matt, please hit us with your number one freaky little dude. My number one freaky little dude is actually uh, four freaky little dudes because my number one freaky little dude is the Soriel. Uh, uh, which is just dinosaurs. They're just dinosaurs. It took me. It's like, just so dinosaurs. Long to realize it was just dinosaurs. Yeah, it's there's <laughs> there's it's the maybe one of the only full page um, character arts, mm-hmm. and it's because there's mm-hmm. there's four of them, right? So I will I will briefly read. Um, the Sorials are a race of lizard people who come from an alternate prime material plane. Um, so and, and then I did some some background research. Um, they're from a novel and a module and a video game called um, Curse of the Azure Bonds, which I think was a gold box game. Um, and they're just they're just lizards, right? And it's like, hey, what if uh, what if instead of people it was dinosaurs? That'd be cool, right? Um, so they got brought into the prime material plane by a uh, god of death and decay and corruption called Moander. Um, and the pictures of Moander on the Forgotten Realms wiki is basically just a scary looking cloud. So <laughs> it's great. Everything about them is good. Um, there's four different kinds of sorials. There's a Stegosaurus. There's a Triceratops. There's a, uh, there's a, the little flying guy. I think it's a pterodactyl. I, I, and it's weird because like, I'm not really a dinosaur person. I wasn't a dinosaur kid growing up, but like looking at these guys, I'm like, yeah, this is what I would want to. For some reason, I like lizard men in role playing games. I always play as Argonians whenever I try to play Elder Scrolls games. Um, I played a lizard guy when we did uh, Heckheads in, in the Brain Trust. Um, there is something about, I don't know, having a weird beaky face and like spikes and um, a tail and having to stay hydrated that I just think is, I just think it's neat. Um, <laughs> Sorials don't have spell books; they have sticks that they carve their spells into. And then that part rules—it's so good. Did you get? Did 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 you all read how they communicate with people? They can't talk, which is again like this weird tragedy involved. Yeah, and and they're it's a, like emotion pitches dust, too right. It's no, not emotion dust. Emotion they smells. stink. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. have. They have stinky feelings. You can smell them. And you're like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, bud, because I can smell it. Or I don't know what you're saying, but I know you're mad (laughs) by your mad stink. (laughs) It's, um, yeah, I I think they're, I don't know. Um, There's probably some more deeper thinking that I have to do about, well, maybe, okay, so maybe this does tie into the, my, my, like, my swimming in the waterfall story. I just had to stay hydrated, right? Like... (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's so strange like so many of these little dudes are just like orcs they live in a cave 
they eat your flesh, they're mad. Yeah. Uh, satyrs, you know, they frolic in the woods, they love to drink wine. And then this one is like, they came from an alternate universe. They're dinosaurs. One of the four subspecies can be a paladin, but they must be strictly a fighter paladin, not a real paladin. There is like a named NPC that appears in tons of D&D products named Dragon Bait, who's one of these people. That is one of my favorite parts of this book is that every once in a while you have character names that have a trademark symbol next to them. It's like, (laughs) wow, it's very clear what was going on at uh, TSR at this point in time. Oh, yeah. Isn't there some note about how they're not these ones, but there's something. One of them is like, these are distinct from the Dragonlance version of this. Yeah, that's the lizard men. That's the lizard men. (laughs) And the the minotaurs, too. There's like a special Dragonlance minotaur. And then Dragonlance is in like drop caps. Uh, Yeah. And so these are like, you could have just said, there's some cool dinosaurs. They survived the end of the dinosaurs and instead it's this like alternate universe we can't speak we really stick weirdness and we have spell sticks you can tell when you can smell when we're sad and we have our own weird visual language we cannot read your human scrolls um it's it reminds me of like late 70s marvel comics bullshit hell yeah like there's like an ancient cat race that lives under a volcano and it's linked to this other cat race that you learned about in Captain America number 171. Like it's just so these deep core samples of lore and this is trying to boil it down to a few pages but still can't help but say like you got to read about dragon bait. You're really going to love dragon bait. Trust us. The finhead sorial paladin. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I should probably say the names of them because I called them by their dinosaur names. Um, the <laughs> bladebacks are Stegosaurus. Um, Finheads are I don't know what that is. They're like um, like one of the. I was a dinosaur kid. Okay. Um, of course you were. So they're 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 one of the duckbill dinosaurs, like a Parasaurolophus. Okay. I probably got that wrong. That one sounds right. One big tiger. I committed. I did it. Yeah. Uh, flyers are what they call the pterodactyls. And I love the little flyer that they have in this art. It just looks so, you know, I think most of the, like the cultural image that I have of pterodactyl is, um, land before time, that little orange one, whatever its name was. This just looks like an angry version of, of that guy. Petrie? Mm -hmm, Was it mm -hmm. named Petrie? That sounds right. That's one of this one is just like, this looks like if Petrie was voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) <laughs> hey, I'm pissed. Oh my god. Where's Where's the loot, you sons of bitches? I I got wings. I'm here to get in and get out. The speed with which that God, Gilbert Gottfried fucking enactment came out. That was I was not prepared. It was not you prepared. Were ready. For I, watched, like, I got this. I was I watched, born for this. I watched a, a lot of Aladdin growing up. Um, Gilbert Gottfried has a cameo. We could probably get Gilbert Gottfried. Oh to- my god. <laughs> oh to no. To be like dinosaur lines. <laughs> oh no. Oh. I, you know I'm going to investigate this, right? It's really good. Yeah. Please send um, us money to our Ko-Fi so that we can buy Gilbert Gottfried. To be a little weird little dinosaur dude. Oh man. The other like tied into that. This is one of my favorite things. Um and this is this is kind of what we said like those weird arcane one-off rules. Like um here's what it says about those pterodactyls about flyers. Um, flyers fly at a speed of 24 and have a maneuver class of C. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> I, I mean, it's great. <laughs> so maneuver class is about like how quickly you can turn. Okay. And so A is the best maneuver class and you can like turn on a dime. I might be getting this wrong. It might be reversed. But like if you are just like magically levitating and you can just stop and rotate, that's the best maneuverability class. But otherwise you have to like make these wide arcs of turning. And it is based in, like, the same way that D&D ground rules are based in chainmail. Like, this is based in, uh, like, aerial warfare. Wow. <laughs> like, planes that have to make wide turning arcs versus really tight ones. It's super boring. No one wants to deal with yeah. that. But they're there. Do they have, is there ship combat in 40k? This is completely unrelated to anything. But now, I don't, now it's the only thing that I be. can think about. There has to be, right? Yeah. 
those Marines got to get there somehow. This is, this is like all the stats uh, in Cyberpunk that we talked about last time. <laughs> that all the stats that are based right. on like FBI data. It's like, please do not. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, the other classic bit of every episode so far is like, here's where we talk about everything that we forgot to talk about at the start. Do we have anything that we need to come back to? I will say that part of the reason that I was interested in this Kits situation Oh, let's talk kits. kits. I, so kits, have you have described them to me as things that you put on top of your class if you're playing a humanoid? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, so they seem really interesting because they like have a little bit more of the lore. Like when this book does lore, it does it really interestingly. Or it does, sometimes it does it really interestingly. And when it does it, what I meant to say was when it does it good, it does it very good. <laughs> It's a better, a better way to put that. Right. Uh, it's just bad. Also, does and it when it bad. does it any other way, yeah, it's, it's bad. really bad. Uh, there's a whole section of this book I didn't read because it's like culture and whatever. Like it's, it's just like here's a bunch of stuff about how the world is mega racist. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a kit called the Tunnel Rat, <laughs> and I want it to be an official D and D class. I just want everybody to be able to be a Tunnel Rat. <laughs> Tunnel rats are, uh, they come, okay, tunnel rats come from the ranks of all humanoid races that dwell beneath the earth. They serve as advanced scouts and explorer for the tribes using whatever skills they can pick up to survive the unknown dangers waiting below the ground. The part that I like is that when humanoids find new tunnels to explore and new mines to dig, or when they decide to spy on their underground neighbors, the first thing they do is select a member of the tribe to be bait. Ropes are attached to the bait and is sent down into the unexplored tunnel to search for traps, hostile creatures, and other dangers. If the rope reaches the end of the length and nothing bad happens, then the rest of the tribe know it is relatively safe to follow the bait into the tunnel. Those that survive uh, this particular job often become quite skilled. When this occurs, they are no longer called bait. They earn the title of tunnel rat. Holy shit. And I'm like, yes. Again, just like a me. full campaign exactly. in that paragraph. Yeah, I want to play that character that's just like, you got to go first, bud. You're like trying to become well, a tunnel and rat. It's, that's so that's session zero shit, right? Like you start session zero. You have four little kobolds or goblins. You all get lowered down and you roll on a random encounter. It's like the arena in that mothership game we played. You enter in, you roll a random encounter. Maybe you get ate up by a purple worm. Or maybe there's just like a mushroom person that doesn't see you. And you get brought back up and then you're a tunnel rat. That sounds awesome. I want to play that right now. Tunnel rats to me, you know what's funny? It's funny that you bring up mothership because they feel like a mothership class. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Like, you're the person that goes in the vents. When the alien's going through the vents, you climb up in there with a flamethrower or whatever, and it's you versus that And we have this weird initiation, and then you get a patch. Yes, yes! Ah! Gotta make a tunnel rat patch. Uh, If you you pay us $50 on Kofi, I will run a tunnel rat's three-session mini-campaign for you. Oh my god, that sounds so good. I'm just imagining now, like, hey, there's a tunnel rat that maybe they braid their hair with part of the rope that they were tied up with. Yes. Yeah, or like wear it as a necklace yeah. or a bracelet. Oh, this is all super. This is so making good. A We're going to write right now. Are we like writing <laughs> a supplement? The... Is this <laughs> We're going to write the book of tunnel rats. <laughs> uh, yes. The complete book of tunnel. Which is people funny. should make books that look like this. I think that is maybe the main takeaway from this is like, hey, steal this format. Make your books look yeah. like this. Yeah. Just short. Like they're not trying to be 500 pages or whatever. Um, and they do do a good job of like information organization. They have clear tables organized at the back. The tables I like a lot. And if you cut out all of the bullshit and you cut out the system specific mechanics, you'd have like a nice 60 page little book, which is mm-hmm. where I want yes. most books to sit. I don't want most books to go above 60 pages. <laughs> if you tell me your zine is 120 pages, I will not buy it. Um, that's not a zine. I know it's not a zine, but also that's like I just don't, I'm not going to read those 120 pages generally. Uh, I guess unless they're old and shitty like this one, whatever, it's fine. I'll regret <laughs> that. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's the only reason suck. we're reading this is because it's bad. I mean, it's good, but it's bad. <laughs> it's, I have things uh, I need to read that like look good that are sitting on my shelf, and I'm like, wow, yeah, I need to read. You know, I have that Troika supplement that looks like Dune. That's probably cool, but. I'm going to read about um, the seven different types of horrible beast that are all the same, but are slightly different. 
Uh, you've just cast this whole podcast into existential doubt. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's fine. We're just gonna end up. It'll take about three hours, and then we'll find we'll look on the shelf, and there'll be another old book sitting next to the beautiful new books. And we'll be yeah. like, let's read this old shitty book. At least we can yell about it. I can have exactly. Opinions. Um. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want to pay Aaron to run that three session mothership uh, game of Tunnel Rats, which I might just do myself, uh, you can go to uh, ko-fi.com slash RTFM um, or you can buy us books there. And if you want to send us books, if you're a person who has like a bunch of RPG books that you don't read and you think we should read them for this podcast, please message me on any of the platforms where you can find me um, and I will figure out how it is that we get them from you. Right. Max is in Canada. I'm in America. If you're in one of those countries or in any other country that can mail to them cheaply, uh, we are happy to figure out a way to get you, no, to get us your stuff. (laughs) Correct. We'll take your stuff. (laughs) Give us your stuff. I'm sure there's a kit for how we can take your stuff in this book. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm the stuff rat, and I'm here for your stuff. That's it. We're just making a series of supplements that are just different kind of rats. Hi, I'm Gilbert. Give me your stuff. <laughs> That's more Louis Anderson. All right, don't put that in. Uh, I'm starting the podcast with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> let me do. Let me do. If you're gonna do that, let me do a clean take. What was the name? Stuff rat. What, what was the name? Oh, right. Okay. Hold on. Everyone, be silent for just like thirty seconds. Hi, I'm Stuff Rat. I'm here for your stuff. <laughs> Is that good? That's like it's a very good. People, yeah, people oh, can use it. It hurts to exist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, <laughs> all right. Thanks. We're at like almost. Yeah, thanks. we're at so many. It's fine. We'll be fine. <laughs> stuff Rat. All right. I'll edit out. I will just, it'll Goodbye. just be 45 minutes of where I'm a stuff rat giving you stuff. <laughs> it's the way you said stuff, I think, is the best part of it. The, like, kind of oh, lingering shit. on the you. The oh. stuff. Well, thank you also. Thank you, Matt, for being our first guest. Yes. Oh, thank, thank you so you much you for so having much. me. It was this, this has been so much fun. Like, honestly, I, and like I said, I've never been a podcast guest before. This was, this was very fun. Um, and it, it gave me a reason to sit down and, uh, and, and read this book and, and find the things that I liked and the things that I didn't. And like I said, um, you know, I, I think the work that, that you both are doing is, is, is really cool. I mean, I think RP, RPG archaeology, I think is, is super, super cool. I mean, because there's, there's good things and bad things that we can pull out of this and it's, it's just always a lot of fun. So thank you for taking the time to sit down with me on a, on a Thursday night in the middle of the week and, and talk about humanoids. Oh, it was fun. I love it. it. So fun. Do you want to, you're Twitch's most famous Mario Golf player. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. So I, um, my, so you, you can follow me in a variety of different places. I think now I am, I was able to get Matt Fennell on twitch.tv. I switched my, uh, I switched my handle this week. So I met, nice. uh, twitch.tv slash Matt Fennell. I stream Mario Golf every once in a while. Um, uh, haven't done it in a while. If we we should cut out this next section, what I'm going to talk about when and why I stream Mario Golf. Okay, thanks everybody. That was a hoot. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>